So in the early church, when people would come into you know, contact with each other, they would meet each other on the street, they had a kind of a, a secret greeting, so to speak, on how they greeted each other. They would say, He is risen, and the, the person would respond, He is risen indeed. So on Easter morning, He is risen. He is risen and we've got a lot to be thankful for, don't we, this morning? And so I'm so glad to see all you guys, and it's good to have a, a lot of guests with us today. Um, we're going to have an awesome service. We already have had, and we're going to continue to have it today. Uh, we're in a series called For the One, The Savior Who Seeks and Saves. And man, this has been a, a great series. You can always go back on our website and catch the messages that you missed. We want to welcome those watching online today, because we're online on Facebook and YouTube and and our website at live.mycornerstone.org. And I encourage you, while you're watching, if you're able to comment and let us know where you're watching from, and, uh, and we'd love to get to know you a little bit. Uh, one of the things that we're launching this morning um, at Cornerstone, our mission is to make disciples of Jesus who transform their world. That's just what we're about. We are serious about discipleship, about teaching people what it means to follow Jesus, but we're also serious about getting out into our world and putting that into practice. And so we're launching a series of classes um, that will help you grow in your faith and get connected. So let me just kind of walk. It's a whole discipleship series that we're launching. Um, and so there's four different classes that are coming up. Um, and let me kind of explain each one. The first one is Discover Cornerstone. Maybe you've heard about this one. Um, this is where we, uh, we've been doing this in person. We now have an online class as well that you can go through. Um, this teaches you a little bit about who we are, our history, our beliefs, our vision, uh, how you can get plugged in and connected. So this is really your first steps uh, in getting connected here at Cornerstone. You can go on our website or our church app, uh, which is Church Center. Uh, if you download that on your phone, look at upcoming events, you can see uh, how to get signed up. We, again, this one is online and in person. The next in-person one uh, is coming up uh, in, a, in a, I think, about a month and a half. So uh, you can go online and sign up for that. We also have Discover Faith. Um, this is really what I would say uh, the basics of believing. This is the, the first step. This is kind of a new believers class, but it's not just for new believers. Um, and so this is kind of just basic, how, how do you get started following Jesus? Um, and so what is prayer? How do you read your Bible? That type of things. And, um, and so you, that's an online class as well you can sign up for. Uh, the next class is Discover Theology. Uh, this is going to be in the summer. We're going to launch it in summer. Uh, and it's kind of a three-month, uh, it's kind of a hybrid. We'll meet in person some, and there'll be some online stuff too. Uh, but that's coming up this summer, so you'll be hearing more about that. And then this fall, we're doing one called Discover Leadership. Um, and this is almost like a mentoring, uh, kind of in-depth discipleship thing that we're really excited about that'll start this fall. So I'll just share all that. You can go to our website for more info. Uh, but we, uh, we really want you to, to learn about following Jesus and how that affects your everyday life. So those are all ways you can do that. I would start this morning by saying the heart of God is to pursue those who are lost, who are hurting, and who are struggling. We see that time and time again throughout the Scripture, throughout the New Testament. We see Jesus sought out people who everyone else overlooked. Uh, we started this series in Luke 15. The three parables there, the, the parable 
uh, of the lost sheep and the, the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the, the prodigal son. And, and we saw how, how God pursues the lost and the forgotten, how he pursues the rebellious, how he pursues the prideful. And we see all of that, the rejected, the despised. He pursues all of us. Because without God, we are all in this same predicament that we are lost. And sometimes we realize it and sometimes we don't. But that's really the story of the whole Bible, right? It starts off how God created this world perfectly and everything in it. But then because of sin, all, everything was broken and, and, and we were disconnected from each other and from God. And that's why Jesus came. And, and so that's, what, that's really what we're in this series, is learning about why Jesus came. And today we're going to wrap up this series by looking at one of my favorite people in the Bible, by looking at the story of Peter. If you know the story of Jesus' last week um, before the crucifixion, you know about Peter, you know about his failure. A few hours after Peter denied Christ, Jesus was crucified. And to Peter, I'm sure it seemed like everything, all hope was lost at this point, right? He had abandoned Jesus when it counted most. And now the Lord was gone. This is kind of this feeling of hopelessness, hopelessness had to just overwhelm him. But the story of Jesus wasn't over. And, and neither was Peter's story. Our God is the God of second chances. And because of the resurrection, we have forgiveness. And more importantly, we have hope. So let's talk about hope this morning, or maybe even your lack of hope, if you're here this morning and struggling. Uh, if you're following along, we have uh, notes. Uh, you can take notes. Uh, they're on our website as well. But here's the first point that I, I want to share with you this morning. It's hopelessness is a tomb that imprisons us. So many people are struggling in our world with a, a feeling, just this overwhelming feeling of hopelessness. And they feel like there's nothing I can do to break out of this tomb. There's nothing I can do because it seems like there's just no hope. And that's the message of Easter, that there is hope. When we look back at the story of Peter, um, Jesus was meeting with the, the disciples in the area of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked them, right, who do, you, who do people say that I am and who do you say that I am? And do you remember who was the first to speak up? It's Peter, right? And what did Peter say? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's just kind of how Peter was. He was brash. He was impulsive. He was kind of the first to open his mouth. He was full of faith. And so Peter had this, I mean, it looked like he was the one that had it all together. And I feel like there's maybe even people in this room that can identify with Peter because on the outside, it seems like you've got everything together. But on the inside, we see that he struggled a little bit. Um, even leading up to the crucifixion in Luke 22, this is, what, this is how Peter was kind of bragging about himself a little bit. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Jesus knew what was about to happen. Peter was like full of confidence, right? He's like, I, I'm, I'm going to be right there with you, Jesus. And yet we know kind of what happens next. 
Peter was confident in his ability, but he overestimated his faithfulness. And I think sometimes we do that as well. We overestimate our faithfulness. Maybe you've been in this. Have you ever been in that place where you said, I'll never do that. That could never happen to me. Those are dangerous words. Those are dangerous words because, as the Bible also tells us, pride comes before the fall, right? Sometimes we overestimate our ability. Parents, have you ever said, my kid will never do that? How's that working out for you? All right. My kid's never going to be on a tablet. My kid's never going to watch that show on TV. My kid's never going to act like that when we go out in public. And yeah, it's not long before you eat those words, is it? We're confident in our ability sometimes. Now, now we'll, we'll, and that's kind of how Peter was here. Uh, and we, we rarely know how we would respond in a specific situation until we get in that situation. And Peter's like, I, I'll, I, I'm going to stand strong. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And yet, when he gets in this situation, where he gets under pressure, when he's afraid to stand out, when, everything, when it matters most, what does he do? He fails miserably. Let's skip ahead in Luke 22, verse 54. So they arrested Jesus and led him to the high priest's home. This is the, the home of Caiaphas. And Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, no, I'm not, Peter retorted. And about an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. He made eye contact. He saw him. And suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. You know, this story is one that I think so many of us relate to. We have good intentions. We want to do what is right. We want to please God with the way we live our life. But yet, so often we find ourselves failing miserably. When Peter heard the rooster crow, it was a feeling of, hopelessness and, and failure. It's one of those feelings that's hard to overcome. Th think about the contrast. While Jesus was standing before the most powerful political and religious leaders and, 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 he, was, and, and he was standing strong against them, Peter denies a, a lowly servant girl. The contrast couldn't be more significant. Jesus was was holding strong to faith before the most powerful. And here Peter is with a servant girl, and he's denying that he even knows who Jesus is and cursing about it. And then the rooster crows. There's certain things that trigger our memories. Certain things that when we hear, we remember, right? Um, sound is one of those things that triggers memories. Uh, maybe it's the sound of a baby crying 
Uh, if you're older, it takes you back to when your child was, uh, was little and teething and, and having trouble or had colic and wouldn't sleep through the night. And, and every time you hear a baby cry, you remember that. And maybe it's the sound of a car horn. You hear it and it automatically takes you back to that time you were in a wreck. But those sounds can trigger memories for us. And I have to think that every single time the rooster crowed, and if you've been around roosters, every morning you're going to hear them, right? They're going to let you know that they're there. Every single morning. The first thing that happened for Peter was a reminder of his failure. It was a reminder of how much he messed up. It was a reminder that he had no hope now because he had denied Jesus. Sometimes we blow it so badly that the embarrassment, the shame, the regret, it, it, is, it, it imprisons us. It, it feels like this tomb that we can't get out of. We feel like there's nothing we can do to escape. And I'm just telling you, I, I, I'm, I'm afraid that sometimes we overestimate right, our faithfulness. And, and so we have a lot of similarities with Peter. We often deny Christ in the way we live. We deny Him in our words. We deny Him by the way we live. We can deny Him by telling others, by not telling others about Him. And we do that all the time. And when we choose the world over comfort, when we choose the world and we choose comfort, when we choose compromise, what are we doing? We're denying Christ over and over and over again. Peter was afraid to stand out. He was trying to, to, to sink back and, and just watch what was happening. He was afraid of what would happen if he spoke up. And I'm afraid that's what we do far too often. But the story doesn't end here. Let's talk about the crucifixion. The crucifixion that happens next is one of the most tragic events in human history. Uh, our Lord, our Savior, the God of the universe that came to dwell among us was, was brutally tortured and crucified. Now, there's a, a Latin, Latin word that they, they were trying to describe how intense the pain was, and they didn't have a word for it. And so they finally came up with a word that was excruciating. Have you heard that? That means it's from the cross. It's that's the, the they created a word because they didn't have a word to talk about how intense the pain and the suffering was that Jesus went through. And so I, I would kind of caution us to maybe how we use that word in today's right. We use it a little flippantly sometimes, not realizing the severity of what it's talking about. And so Jesus took on one of the most gruesome forms of torture and death on behalf of us. It was prolonged suffering. Typically, it would last several days, and the person would finally die from asphyxiation, right? They couldn't breathe because they would become so weak that they couldn't lift up enough to even take a breath. I mean, a horrible death on the cross. And Jesus finally said, it is finished, and he breathed one last breath. At this point, it looked like Satan had won. Hope was gone. Peter would have to deal with the consequences of his denial for the rest of his life. Every time the rooster crowed, it would trigger that re reminder of hopelessness and failure. But the story doesn't end there. 
The resurrection changed everything. And that leads me to my next point. Two simple words showed that there was hope for Peter. Two simple words showed that there were hope. What were those words? Let's look in the, the Mark chapter 16. And I want you to listen. I want you to try to pick out two words that changed everything for Peter. Okay? In verse 1, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who, who was crucified. He has risen. The Easter message right here. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Did you catch the two words that changed everything? But go and tell his disciples and Peter. He didn't have to throw that in there. He could have just said, "Go." I mean, it's a little bit redundant, right? Peter was one of the disciples. Why did he say, and Peter? He's letting Peter know that there is still hope. It, though Peter's sin was great, Jesus' compassion was greater. Instead of meeting words of condemnation, and, and what, he, he received this encouragement. He was met with a second chance. I love this part of the story because the resurrection changed everything. And if there is hope for Peter, there is hope for you and there is hope for me. That's the, that's the Easter message here. And I think some of us here, maybe you're here this morning, you say, but I've blown it, Mike. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've experienced. You don't know how many times I've denied him. You don't know how many times I've failed and how many times I've messed up. And I would tell you the same thing that the angel told Peter, right? Hey, or told the women. He's like, there's hope for you too. Go and meet Jesus. And and so some of you feel like your past is keeping you from Jesus. And I'm telling you this, no matter what you've done, Jesus will give you a second chance. His death on the cross provides forgiveness to every single person who believes. These two words, and Peter, could just as easily be directed to you. You have forgiveness when you turn to God. And so how did Peter respond? I mean, when the women went and told him, what what did he do now? And that leads me to my next point. What does hope do? When we receive hope, it compels us to run to Jesus. That's that's our response. I mean, when you understand who Jesus is and what he has done, it's like I, I can't hold back anymore. I've got to run to Jesus. John chapter 20. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb, found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I love little details like this in Scripture, don't you? It's like John is writing about himself, and he's trying, it's like a humble brag right here. 
He's like, the disciple that Jesus loved, <clears throat> me, that was me. I'm a little faster than Peter. I got there first. Guys will be guys. It doesn't matter where you are. He stooped. He looked in, saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noted, noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and, and he saw and he believed. For until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. So it's interesting here. I, I would say that Peter and John are running for different reasons. Which makes sense when we read the Gospels. John is running because just maybe, maybe what he, Jesus had said was true. And John loved see Jesus so much that he was just hoping that Jesus had come back from the dead. So he was running out of love and out of admiration and out of hope. But Peter, on the other hand, I think he was running for a different reason. Peter was running for a second chance. Peter was running because he didn't have hope. And if Jesus had come back from the dead, that meant everything was about to change for him. And so for us, right, I think that describes the people in this room. Some of you are running towards Jesus out of gratitude. And some of you are running towards Jesus because you need a second chance. They desperately want to see the empty tomb to know that he's not dead. But they don't really have any good reason to believe that he is. So they run. That's, that, that, that hope just causes them, it compels them to run as fast as they can to get there and see with their own two eyes. Uh, there's a famous painting, um, it's in France, uh, and uh, I forgot the title of it, but it, it's a picture of Peter and John running to the tomb. I want you to think about what they were experiencing and what they were feeling as they ran. Let, let me, I, I read this about this painting. It says, what separates Peter and John from most of us, I think, is that they were willing to give themselves up completely to hope. Even the possibility of a resurrection propels them to run as fast as they can to see if it could be true, which means that they will be vulnerable to profound disappointment if it turns out to be something else. Most of us, I suspect, would react differently. Maybe we will take a leisurely stroll to the tomb. If we happen to be going in that direction and we'll take a peek behind the rock if it isn't too crowded, as long as we expect the worst, we can be pleasantly surprised if it turns out better. But genuine hope, the theological virtue that sits next to faith and charity, it requires more from us than cautious optimism and a leisurely stroll. It is a frantic running towards something that we have heard about perhaps all of our lives and we desperately want it to be true. The essence of Easter is not a passive hope, but an anxious and even a desperate hope, a longing to believe. Maybe our lives don't end when we die. Maybe we can be reconciled to a perfect and a loving God. Maybe we can find joy in our lives that endures for, for eternity. Even if we don't know for sure, the news is something that is worth breaking a sweat for. And that's really, right, that hope. What does it do? It compels us to run to Jesus as fast as we can. 
And that kind of leads me to my last point. Peter's redemption. It reminds us that God's grace is bigger than our sin. There's a line in a song that we sing often at Cornerstone. What a beautiful name. And it says, you didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great, but your love was greater. What could separate us now? And that, that, that lyric was in my mind this week as I was preparing and thinking about this. My sin is great, but Jesus' love is greater. His compassion is greater. His mercy is greater. His grace is greater. And so whatever it is that we've gone through, whatever it is that we've done, His love is greater. And that is the good news of Jesus. And, and the good news of Jesus really is for everyone everywhere. But sometimes our failures, our doubts, our fears, our hopelessness, our insecurities, they get in the way of receiving that good news. And so Jesus knew that Peter needed more than the empty tomb. He appeared to him once and in Jerusalem, and then they went on to Galilee as the angel had commanded them. And, and again, Galilee is, is not a short distance away. This is like 70 miles away that they had to go and wait on Jesus. And what did they do? They started fishing. John chapter 21. Later, Jesus appeared again to his disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. I mean, at this point, they're like, what do we do now? We'll do what we used to do. We'll go back to our way of life, the, the, what, we, what was comfortable, what we, we, we don't know. Let's just go back to what we know. And the other said, we'll come too. So they went out to the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Now, I would say where they were, it was probably the exact same spot they were when Jesus called them to follow him to start with and said, you'll be fishers of men. Where he said to throw, cast out your net on the other side. This is a reminder. This is where it all started. They're back there. And so when they heard this, they had to put the pieces together and say, wait a minute. We've experienced, this is a little bit of deja vu here. I know what's going on. I know who this is. And then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. It's him. It's got to be. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to the shore. You know, Peter was the one who ran to the tomb. Now he's not running. He's swimming to Jesus. And I've, I've, I've preached on this before, and, I, and I, I know this is wrong, but I just picture Forrest Gump jumping out of the boat, going to see Lieutenant Dan right here. That is in my mind every single time I read this. I mean, he's just like, hold on, I'm coming. And that's, I love that, that picture. And so the others stayed with the boat, pulled the loaded nets to shore, and for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. 
So not only do sounds bring back memories, smells do as well. In fact, uh, Harvard University, one of the journal articles they put out said, there is no sense that is more connected to memory than smell. It is a biological fact based in the way that our brains are organized. Smells have the greatest power to bring back, uh, bring, bring back to our mind deeply emotional memories. So there's one other place that a charcoal fire is mentioned. And it was in the courtyard of Caiaphas' house where Peter was standing beside the fire when the, they were asking him, who is this man? Are you, part, are, you with, are you with Jesus? And he denied Jesus three times. That's the first time. And now this smell. I have to think that while he was on the boat, he smelled this fire burning and immediately his mind went back to the last time he had been around a fire and had denied Jesus. He runs to shore. And what happens? John 21, verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt knowing that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. The account of Jesus asking these kind of probing and piercing questions is a picture for us of what real forgiveness looks like. And, and though Peter probably had thought, Jesus can no longer use me, I've kind of blown it, the resurrected Jesus had a new commission for him. He told him three times, feed my sheep, and he did it once for every time Peter had denied him. And what the message, and this message was clear, the message is all is forgiven. You've been forgiven I've got a new mission for you now. And I would say that the power of the resurrection of Jesus is the same message for, for all of us. You have forgiveness and you have a mission. If you would repent of your sins, if you turn to Jesus, you can be forgiven and you have a new mission for your life. Peter's life was forever changed from this point forward. If you read through the rest of the New Testament from the book of Acts, Peter is on the steps of the temple in Jerusalem preaching at Pentecost. 3,000 people are saved. This is the same Peter, right, that denied Jesus to a lowly servant girl. Now he is standing up boldly preaching Jesus. You keep reading what happened. I mean, he keeps proclaiming. He keeps serving. He ends up, uh, church tradition tells us, that he was crucified upside down because he was unwilling to deny Jesus. He's like, I'm unworthy to be killed in the same way he is to crucify me upside down. The same Peter that was so, he lacked so much hope, is now the same Peter who is boldly telling everyone he meets about Jesus. I've heard it said that the, the disciples wouldn't have died for a lie. And I think if Jesus didn't truly raise from the dead, if he didn't rise up, right, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be hearing about it. The, the whole movement would have just died out. They wouldn't have died for a lie. 
But something they saw change. When, they, when you encounter someone that was once dead and is now alive again, it's going to change your outlook on life. It's going to change your priorities. It's going to change how you live. It's going to change everything about your life. And that's what happened to the disciples. And that's why we're here today, because it's happened to us too. When we've experienced the risen Savior, it changes everything about our life. We need healing. We need forgiveness. We need hope. And we find it right here in this story. The truth is that everyone needs salvation because we have all sinned. The book of Romans is a theological book about how we're separated from God and why God came, why He sent Jesus to, for us. In Romans 3 it says, As the Scriptures say, No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. It's not a very good message, is it? For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. It's what Romans 3 tells us. It even tells us there's a consequence for that disobedience. If we've all sinned, we've all been disobedient to God, there's a consequence for that. In Romans 6, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So, so there's a consequence. Heaven is real. Hell is real. And, and so the choices we make this side of eternity determine where we're going to end up. But Romans 5 tells us, But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That's why Jesus came. He came to make us right with God. And how do we get right with God? Romans 10 tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So that's, it's believing in our heart. Jesus really is who he said he is. He rose from the grave. I believe it and I'm going to confess it. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to share it. Romans 5 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Romans 8 says there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Romans 8.38 says I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I hope that you have a relationship with the God who created us. I hope that you know who Jesus is and that you have put your faith and your trust in Him. And so right now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask that you bow your heads. I'm going to ask that you close your eyes. You don't look around. I'm going to give you an opportunity right here, right now. If you're online, this is for you as well. Do you know Jesus? Do you know who He is? Do you know why He came? I'm just gonna, before we even pray, I'm going to ask you right now, no one's looking around, if you don't know Jesus, if, he is, if, if you have never put your faith and your trust in Him, would you just slip up your hand right now and say, I, I don't know Jesus? Anybody in the room right now would be bold enough just to say, I don't, I don't know. 
but I want to know. Anybody here? Anybody online? I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray right now. Just Heavenly Father, I believe in Jesus. I believe He died for me. I believe He died to take the punishment for my sin. And I believe that I can receive forgiveness because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. But I also know that when I put my faith and my trust in Jesus, it compels me to run after Jesus with everything that is in me. So I can't live the same way anymore. It changes how I think. It changes my attitudes. It changes my desires. And and I want to follow Jesus from this point forward. If that's your prayer this morning, I want you to know Jesus heard it and He answered it and He saved you. I'm so thankful for for Jesus' love, for His grace, for His mercy, for His compassion. I'm so thankful for Easter morning we can gather together and celebrate the risen, resurrected Jesus. And so this morning, Lord, we just want to celebrate You. We want to celebrate the fact that we can find forgiveness and grace and mercy. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.